I was forced uh, and very much confronted in my life with a mirror that said, this is not going to work for you. This is not sustainable. And I went through a deep process through this crisis and, and rebirth uh, on how to love myself, how to give myself a damn break once in a while, and how to be supple. And I would say that that yang to the ying of maybe some of the more um, typical maybe associations with mental toughness, you got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps, don't be, you know, don't give up so easily, et cetera, is balanced by just really putting your own oxygen mask on, taking a hot bath, um, giving yourself some love, giving yourself a break, being so important to so many people. And this message has really become central to my message of love to the world in actualizing your, your greatness and your purpose, but also just showing yourself a little bit of grace. Most of us never learned how to train our brains, which is why most of us needlessly settle, struggle, and worse, suffer. My name is Chris Doris, and I want to make brain training mainstream. This is my series, Tough Talks, Conversations on Mental Toughness. I'm interviewing badasses from all walks of life on what mental toughness means to them and their unique approaches to strengthening their minds. Hey, what's up? Welcome back back to Tough Talks, Conversations on Mental Toughness. I am your host, Chris Doris. And before we get to who our guest is today, uh, our one typical housekeeping item is if you are not getting the daily dose, mental toughness tips in 30 seconds or less, delivered to your email inbox every single morning of the year at around 6 a.m. wherever you are in the world, um, and if you're not getting notifications of my Tuesday um, blog posts, and of course, if you're not getting your notifications of these new Tough Talks podcast episodes, then we can cl clear that all up so easily by simply going to ChristopherDoris.com backslash lists, L-I-S-T-S. Or you could just go to ChristopherDoris.com. It's right there on the right-hand side of the homepage. But if you go to ChristopherDoris.com backslash lists, name, email, click, boom, you get all the goodies. All right. Our, our guests today is a fascinating fellow Jersey boy. His name is Christian LaFerre, L-E capital F-E-R, Christian LaFerre. And uh, I'm excited to share him with you today because um, of a couple of reasons. I'm going to read you a bit of his bio, but the bio tells you what he does. I'm interested more in sharing with you, sharing with him with you because of who the guy is, which is why he does what he does. <laughs> so... Um, I'm Christian LaFerre, founder, Instant Nonprofit. Instant Nonprofit is the name of his company. Founder of InstantNonprofit.com. He's an Apple snob, proud dad of three. His motivations include motocross and meditation. He says, I speak and write on nonprofits and social enterprise based on my track record of starting nearly 3,000 nonprofit 501c3 organizations, that's a lot. In addition to 30 plus years of copywriting and fundraising for a whole myriad of causes, his big bet is that social enterprise founders are the superheroes of a new era. Personal values now tower over classic norms as the new basis for identity and behavior. Welcome to the convergence of cause and commerce. I love that. Welcome to the convergence of cause and commerce. We are, um, we haven't talked a whole lot, 
uh, prior to this, but I am clear that we're going to uh, we're going to go deep, right, and talk about some really big important questions. And it doesn't matter if you're interested in creating a nonprofit in your life. Okay, he's an expert at that, and we'll, and I'll, I'll include you know how to get in touch with him and all that and all his offerings. He's got a whole bunch of offerings from people who are just even like tinkering with the possibility of like getting involved starting a nonprofit as a maybe for the world or people that are totally clear yeah i totally want that i definitely want to do that and everyone in between but that is not the primary impetus for me having him as a guest it's, it's like why is he using his life that way his answer to the question that's why i want you to meet him all right christian's here he's waiting for us let's go find him where are you brother there he is there's my boy fellow jersey boy christian lafair what's up man in the house. How you doing, Chris? In the how am I doing? Why, thank you so much for asking that. See, every time somebody asks me that question, I have created a habit of uh, doing a, a, a ritual, a profound, a brief, but very profound ritual in response to the question, even if the person didn't really care. Uh, <laughs> was it, even like if they were just greeting me with how are you? So how am I? In this moment, I'm deciding this is the best damn day in my life. So thank you for that inquiry. I love it. Yeah, where we're both from, how you doing is just kind of like doing? people saying howdy in other places. Or Hi. <laughs> and uh, it's so funny because when you respond, they're like, oh, wait a second. Hey, thanks. Uh, <laughs> but I love that you're using it, you know, uh, your your episode with Doc Ali, uh, you know, the, the neuro ninja, the, the, the person who is able to access presence at any time using mm. a number of triggers is going to be that master. It's just pretty cool that you do that. Well, amen to that. Thanks for that. And I'm going to tell Doc Alley that she just got a shout out, <clears throat> which is cool. So, yeah. Well, speaking of Doc Alley, you re refer to yourself somewhere in, in, uh, somewhere in the world and some content that I was studying in preparation for this. You, or, or maybe you just called yourself that in one of the communications that you and I had. You called yourself a neuro junkie. Yes. What do you mean? Well, it's funny. That's got multiple meanings. Every human on the planet is a neuro junkie, right? We are subject to the dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, and all of the other neurotransmitters that we are sort of addicted to these different cocktails every day. So in that way, we are all neuro junkies. Welcome to the club. I'm recovering as you are. Um, however, as far as my interest in this area, um, I ran into different situations in, in life. Maybe we'll talk about some of those where I realized I needed to master my own mind and that I was absolutely being led around by the nose by this sort of these automatic habits, patterns, et cetera, that did not serve me. And that I better get, I better figure some of this stuff out. And so I've studied Dr. Joe Dispenza and a number of other great, uh, you know, leaders of, of thought or no thought like Eckhart Tolle. And, uh, it has served me immensely in my life. And so I am kind of a junkie for learning about quantum and neuroplasticity, neurotransmitters, all of the things that go into what makes us who we are. Sweet. So, um, you know, as you know, the, the podcast is entitled Tough Talks, Conversations on Mental Toughness. And the reason that I even do it is because a lot of people have no idea that A, there's stuff you can do to strengthen the way that you use your mind and respond, like strengthen your response dash ability to reality so that we can respond with mastery. And B, what, <laughs> like, like, what can we do? 
But yeah. before we get into that stuff, like, um, you know, people, the term mental toughness, I use it as a brand because it works, right? But I think there's a lot of misunderstanding of what it even means. What does it mean to you? <clears throat> Being a guy who grew up sort of, you know, very resourceful, scrappy, lower middle class Jersey, um, and just kind of getting along on my whatever limited wits and charm I had. Um, you know, mental toughness used to mean to me, um, you know, not giving up and, and being gung ho and, and, you know, making it happen one way or the other. And I, I'll probably always have an element of, of that being who I am, right? I, I like to be that and I like to share that with others. Hey, uh, what's the situation? Oh, the car, your car broke down. You're in a snowstorm in the ditch. Like, what can we do? What can we leverage? How can we get you out of here? I love to help people. I love to help myself that way. However, based on my upbringing and some very, very, one very tough point, especially in my life that I faced where flogging myself harder did not work. And I realized, in fact, that was my problem. Uh, negative self-talk, sort of never giving myself a break and realizing that even though I would pick up uh, a hippie and their smelly dog on the side of the road hitchhiking in Idaho and they're broke and feeding them and putting them up in a hotel, I had spent my entire life of about 47, 48 years at that point not even given myself the time of day compared to how much compassion I would show somewhere else. And I realized that stemmed from uh, parenting and my upbringing and, and things like that. And I had to, I was forced uh, and very much confronted in my life with a mirror that said, this is not going to work for you. This mm. is not sustainable. And I went through a deep process through this crisis and, and rebirth uh, on how to love myself, how to give myself a damn break once in a while, and how to be supple. And I would say that that yang to the ying of maybe some of the more um, typical maybe associations with mental toughness, you got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps, don't be, you know, don't give up so easily, etc. is balanced by just really putting your own oxygen mask on, taking a hot bath, um, giving yourself some love, giving yourself a break, being so important to so many people. And this message has really become central to my message of love to the world in actualizing your, your greatness and your purpose, but also just showing yourself a little bit of grace. Okay, I love that. <clears throat> Let's dig into that, Escosh. So you used a couple words right there. You just said grace. And then earlier you used the word supple. So those are probably not terms that people would instantly think of when you just give them a flashcard and say mental toughness. Exactly. Right? They wouldn't go, oh, that's Grayson being supple. Okay, but this is really important. So would you be willing to elaborate on both of those words? Why did you just use them in response to my question? What does mental toughness mean to you? You know, um, I think there's a Beatles song that uh, the, the, the lyric is the willow turns its back on inclement weather, right? It knows when to allow itself some cover and some shade. And what I have found in is in modern life, especially, right? We are just go, go, go. The, there's always addition to the things that are expected of us. And this is true of men, this is true of women, this is true of just humans in general. 
you're supposed to be more, do more, look better. And especially in the Instagram world, right? The world where we present this best face, there isn't the other side of this where we um, recharge and relax and um, allow ourselves to kind of, uh, what do you call it? Uh, you know, Garrett White, one of my mentors uh, oh. in, in a warrior program I was in, Wake Up Warrior says, slow down to speed up. It's just speed up, right? Usually. And I found in my own life uh, that this is not sustainable. So being supple is being able to bend when necessary and being able to stand strong when necessary. And ultimately, I believe you have to be spiritually aligned to a degree with who you are, who you're created to be, and that there is something greater so that you have the discernment to do the one versus the other. It's kind of like the serenity prayer. Uh, the wisdom to know the difference is all uh, all you need, but you do need to have the yin and the yang, the, the, the male force and the female recharge of the two sides of mental toughness. Oh, wow. Yeah, you know, I'm a big fan of Carl Jung, and he used the Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> he always used the yin-yang symbol. Uh, and he defined health as a perfect balance between opposites. Yes. Right. So yeah, so so um, in Chinese philosophy, there's um, a term. It's not a term; it's a principle called Wu Wei. Have you ever heard of it? Yes. Um, Alan Watts taught me Wu Wei. <laughs> Good old Alan Watts. <laughs> what a great laugh that guy had. <laughs> he must have smoked a lot of cigarettes. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> but yes. Um, you're reminding me of that right now as I'm listening to you, the whole concept of not forcing shit. Right. right. And I was a guy who would force round pegs in the square holes and think that that was what I was supposed to do as an entrepreneur or as a, as a dad or even just as a, you know, as a hustle. And man, in this hustle world that we have now where hustle is being promoted as a, a great lifestyle, I'm not sure it worked well for me and I'm not sure how sustainable only paying attention to that side is going to be, but I don't want to be, I don't want to be uh, too one track here, but that's, that's my interpretation of, of supple and of recharge and, and the, the other side of what is often considered mental toughness. Yeah. I think a lot of people misconstrue mental toughness as, you know, just being the grunt. Okay. I say it all the time, like, like the offensive lineman in football, you know, or the Navy seal where it's like, fierceness right that is 100 percent a piece of mental toughness and yeah. uh, but there's so much more to it than that <clears throat> all right so i love i've never used the word supple in my description but i'm gonna now so thanks for that i appreciate that you mentioned earlier something that's piqued my interest which is uh you said that there were some events in your life that made this relevant for you uh, sound like some serious struggles. I don't know what they are. Uh, would it be relevant for us to discuss one of them or any of them? Well, sure. I, I think it's important because there are a lot of business business uh, owners listening to this podcast. Yeah. People who just value, even if they're entrepreneurs inside a corporation, they're successful, they're drivers, they're making things happen. And I had reached a point in my life where I was making things happen and doing it in this sort of unsustainable way. And I believe that many people get to this point and I 
I also believe that the um, pandemic, the whatever you want to call the, the 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 virus and the forces that that has put on, on society, it's kind of like a centrifuge for what was already there. Oh. But it's like a, a or or a pressure cooker. It's just increasing the pressures that were already there, and. I, I believe that people are being forced to confront whether their actions in their lives are actually in concert in alignment with the values that they hold deeply as a person. And, you know, you hear about these terms, great resignation and um, just a lot of tumult in, in our society. And it's because people are starting to take a more serious look at do, do the, does the way I spend my life and the things I'm spending it on, does that match my personal values. And if it doesn't, they are giving their money away differently. They are realigning their family and, and work-life balance differently. And they're even, you know, they're, they're questioning, man, I don't even like my job. Should I take reconsider this and take a little pay cut, even if I have to, or a big pay cut and, and be happier and be more congruent with who I am? Well, I had one of those moments my, myself in my life uh, about six years ago. And I was I had a, a growing company. I had a family with, you know, I, I joke, I, I sent you a little sheet about myself and it says 3.2 kids because I had uh, foster kids. And so we were therapeutic foster parents. And I thought I was checking the right boxes and doing the right things. But there was some things that I had adopted into my, the, my operating system. Um, so it wasn't my motherboard. It wasn't who I was created to be, but it was kind of the operating system that was overlaid that we all have in our upbringing, in the things that make us who we are as, as children. And I didn't realize I had these limiting beliefs, as I shared earlier, um, of, of just not doing things sustainably, not considering long-term impact on myself and others in certain ways, et cetera. And so I found myself in the end of 2015 with just everything on fire and everything I had, most of the things I had invested my identity in, uh, Again, being a dad, being an entrepreneur, you know, uh, being a, a classic car enthusiast, like all these things were like, if you asked me who I was, I'd be like, oh, I love this and I do that. But they weren't the being things. They were kind of the doing things. Um, and so I found myself in a place that was very scary. I, uh, through my own actions, my own decisions, I was uh, not with my family. I didn't have any of my, you know, my car had been repoed at one point. Uh, my, and this is after having some success in, in, in my business. Um, and even the, the business itself, I just didn't recognize even what I had built, right? I took a really good look at my, my life and I said, I don't know, I'm, I'm not sure what happened here, but I've sort of built myself a monster. And how the hell did I get here? And I was put into a, a position where everything was on fire and I had to stop and so kind of pull back. And I remember the, the day of wisdom, the beginning of wisdom for me was waking up and I was staying with some friends and realizing that every thought I had to figure it out and to make it work and to fix it was exactly the thinking that got me into trouble in the first place. And so that forced me to stop thinking of how to fix it and wake up to this idea that I probably didn't know much that was going to be useful to me going forward, or that there was a whole world I needed to learn in order to move forward from there. And by creating that space, um, and yeah, I, I'll 
I'll leave it at that. By creating that space, I became aware of elements of how things work in the world that has served me ever since. And one by one over the past few years, each of those things that I cherish so much has aligned itself with me and come back to me much more on my terms, much more in flow and in peace and in joy and in abundance that I could, more than I could have ever imagined. You're a fan of, <clears throat> you're a fan, that was a lot. So um, I may want to have you pick out of that. Uh, but, but, but here's a question that is totally relevant. You're a fan of Joseph Campbell, yeah? Yes. Yeah, you were just, you were just speaking about a lot of his work. Right, you mentioned yes. a couple, right? Like the dark night of the soul, rebirth, yes. hero's journey. Can you talk to us about those things? Yes. Uh, the hero's journey is something Joseph Campbell's, you know, um, evolution archetype of, of our lives is really a backdrop against which every, I believe every human's life is played out. Um, and so by understanding that, that was one of the endeavors that I took is with this time and space that I now had was to really learn what, what does this mean and where do I find myself on the hero's journey? And in what I do now, which is help people start nonprofits every day, I help, that's like a doing thing. And I help connect that with the being thing by helping people identify where are they on the hero's journey. And so I have to check in with myself a lot because we have multiple hero's journeys and there are multiple facets of how that works in our lives. And I really find that it's therapeutic and very healing and very centering for people to go, oh, there's a way that I can look at my life where I can see all of the value of what came before, even if it felt like kind of a mess. And then here's the, or, or maybe it was beautiful. And here's the value going forward because I find myself somewhere on this hero's journey. And then you start looking at the people in your life that they're on their own hero's journey. And where am I the, the wizard who comes along and just drops that piece that they're missing. Where am I the helper like Sam in, in Lord of the Rings who can just pick up and carry somebody to the next step. And there are all these different characters for a reason because they all represent a part of every human psyche. And the journey really becomes a beautiful uh, story instead of just doing the next thing. Let's back up one step and assume that people listening, that there are a lot of people listening or watching that are confused to the terminology, the hero's journey. Can you clarify what is that? So in the 1960s, there was a professor named Joseph Campbell and he was, he, his, his uh, major area of study was myths and archetypes. And it's like, wow, what is that? Well, what he did was he studied all of the great epics across civilization and in multiple civilizations between which there couldn't have possibly been communication, right? You didn't have planes and ships and all this stuff. So he would study Aboriginal documents and, and stories and the story of Gilgamesh, which is reputedly the, the, the oldest story in the world and the Bible and all of these different epics. And um, he compared them and he said, he realized that even in places where they couldn't have communicated between each other, these stories all had certain elements of um, someone who's typically meek and mild. Um, I think Luke Skywalker, Jesus Christ, um, uh, Frodo, they're, they're, they're just a little hobbit, right? 
and they discover they have this call to action. They have a normal life. They have this call to action and they're, they realize that there's this problem. There's concern that they have and they try to refuse the call, but it's too strong. And so they get on the boat as Jonah, right? And then eventually friends come alongside of them. Think of Star Wars. They go deeper into the rabbit hole and realize that they're actually in a game of some level of life and death. As they go into the pit, they get swallowed by the whale. They get taken in by the tractor beam, by the Death Star, etc. And what they go through is a series of steps to resolve the problem that they discovered. But what's awesome about the hero's journey is there are two hero's journeys because the parallel hero's journey is the one where the person is being transformed by discovering this greatness in themselves they were not previously aware of. Oh. And then the resolution wrong. is throwing the ring into the fire of Mordor, digging deeper than they ever realized they could and coming back successfully and then taking the secret elixir or the information or that transformative piece of salvation and bringing it back to the village and then everyone is better for it. That is essentially the, the core elements of the hero's journey. And when people, I love seeing people's face light up when they realize they are in the middle of the hero's journey and it might be the worst part, but then they realize, you know, as Winston Churchill once said, if you're going through hell, keep going because there is, there's another side. <laughs> so uh, everyone, is it, is everyone, everyone by virtue of being alive and being human on a hero's journey? The reason that I believe the answer is definitively yes is because of the universal appeal of these stories that are written either according to this formula or before the formula exists matched the formula. Steven Spielberg write, wrote every story, Star Wars included, according to specifically Joseph Campbell's hero's journey. Pixar. I didn't know that. Really? Pixar. Pixar. They start out with an, the archetypal journey on the, on the storyboard, and then they match the steps that their character will go through to the hero's journey. And these things have massive, as we've seen with these movies and stories, massive appeal. And I don't care if it's Anne of Green Gables, Jane Eyre, uh, Call of Duty, whatever. Gamers, <laughs> the metaverse, the classic literature, the movies, it is all going to be according to something that is written on the hearts of every human. And that is where the heck, what is the meaning of this, this matrix we live in? And where am I in it, right? And that's what is so exciting to me is like, I find myself at the epicenter of thousands now of good people who want to start nonprofits. They call us and they're like, here's my mission. I'm in the recipient and at the epicenter of this great energy that these people had have. And seeing people's faces light up when they realize they're actually on this hero's journey and that so are their future donors waiting for their call to action changes the whole game. Did you say future donors? Yeah, so say, Chris, you wanted to start a 501c3 nonprofit. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay, right. I would explain to you, okay, let's talk about your life. Where did, what triggered, who, what made you who you are? Gotcha. When did you wake up to this need as an adult where you could actually do something about it? And then as we move forward and they said, well, you know, I just, I want to do this, but I don't know where I'm going to get the money. Then I, I placed their donor that does not know them yet as the person in the Shire waiting for their call to action to be invited to a bigger life. <laughs> and then it's like, oh, aha, I see myself in, in this 
model. I also see my donor, my volunteers, my staff. We are all some journey and it helps them to place context around every player in the game. So, all right. So you mentioned earlier that you said, I help people figure out where they are on the hero's journey. How? What I'll do is when someone calls and says, you know, they'd like a consult, a strategy session, whatever, about starting their 501c3 nonprofit, they immediately want to go, how do I do this? The filing sound really hard and all of the kind of how. And I just said, we can help you with that. Because I believe like Simon Sinek, right? That you start with why, and then you go to the how and what. And so I say, well, there's a reason that you want to, there's something inside you that's beautiful. It's a place of really uh, un, unblemished uh, beauty in, in every person that made them want to start a 501c3. So for example, with me, or do anything in their life, maybe be an accountant or an actuary or something, you know, think of the gr- most and least sexy jobs in the world. There is all a little bit of hero's journey in there. Mine is that when I was eight years old, my mom uh, called me inside from playing with my friends uh, in Jersey. And um, she uh, sat me down. She looked real serious. She had been to the doctor with my little sister who was almost four and was nonverbal. And she explained to me that uh, the reason for that is even though Monique appeared to be like all the other kids, she wasn't, she was special. And back then they called it mentally retarded. Now it's developmentally or mentally disabled. And I said, well, that's okay, mom. You know, Monique cool with me. But later, like the next year in school, I got into a fight with some kids who were making fun of the special kids. Mm. And I didn't realize, but this had been planted in my, in who I am that it's really important for us to advocate and help the underdog, help the people who don't have everything that we have. And that made me a lot of who I am as I was growing up. I grew up around Special Olympics, grew, grew up around these amazing nonprofits of great people helping people like my sister. Fast forward to around 20, 2010, and I volunteered to start a nonprofit, totally different reason, with some friends of mine. I said, you guys go do the mission stuff and raise a little money. I'm going to do the application. I mean, how hard can this be? And I became morally outraged that the average IRS delay on a 501c3 application was over a year and that there were 26 painful steps in this whole process, not just the IRS application, but a lot of other things. And I was like, this is BS. How can somebody put such obstacles to good people trying to do good things for people Mm. like my sister Mm. uh, versus starting a used car lot, which is real easy. No offense to used car lot dealers. (laughs) And, And that... I didn't know, but that was me on my hero's journey. And so I'd set about smashing those bureaucratic obstacles and here we are. So what are some questions that people, that's a beautiful story, by the way, I'm glad you shared that. <clears throat> yeah, what are some questions some people can ask themselves? Because I think if, I, if you're listening to this or watching this, you have to be curious. You have already asked yourself the question, right? Where am I at on my hero's journey? You had to, <laughs> right? So like, what are some questions that we can ask ourselves to begin to discover clarity on that, to establish clarity on that? Yeah, I like the little questions that aren't big and philosophical. Um, those are great too. Um, maybe some people are... Uh, 
coming to Denver and taking a psilocybin uh, retreat journey or something like that major, right? To really question what they're doing with their lives, but we're all busy. And there are little questions we can ask ourselves to place us on that hero's journey. And one is, do I daydream about something other than my what I'm doing every day that would have meaning to me? Um, a lot of people foster um, animals or they uh, go out on the weekends and pick up trash you know, on the beach, get together with other people, or they, they're supporting, maybe they're mentoring younger, younger guys who are growing up you know, in, in many cases without a dad in the home. Uh, that's right here, you know, grow up with a single mom. There are a lot of things that people do to just serve in the way that they can, that they can ask, well, is this something I would really like to be spending more of my time doing? Or is this something I feel like I'm not doing enough or could be doing more? That's one way to just kind of get an idea that there's that little call to action and we can suppress these things or we can put them aside because we're busy or we're going to do this when we achieve some other goal in life. Or we can find a way to maybe just open that aperture a little bit more and ultimately, maybe, maybe not, start a 501c3 nonprofit and do that full time. And then, yes, figure it out, raise the money, and even get paid by your own nonprofit. <laughs> That's cool. I'm going to backtrack a little bit. Uh, also, because you just reminded me, I, by the way, I've already got three pages of notes from you. <laughs> That's impressive, man. Uh, I have no, I'm already thinking about what am I going to entitle this episode? I might need your help with that after we uh, stop recording. I might need your help with that. I think you've got some creative juice there. You mind mentioned this six years ago that you had a crisis and you also use a language doing versus being. Yeah. Can we unpack that? Just meaning what do you mean by doing versus being? We often, especially I believe in Western culture, American society, we are, we are get her done kind of people. We, we rope those doggies and fight the bad guys um, and all of that kind of yippee ki stuff. And that's great. I think that's really important. Um, the difference between doing and being, however, is people go to church, for example, for years without ever really, without getting that uh, avenue that they're looking for to understand what does it mean to have worth to just wake up as a human? What if you were uh, unable to, to walk one day or, or speak or serve anyone, right? Make things happen, uh, feed the kids, do the thing. What value would your life have? Would it have any value? And so there has to be an element where we ask ourselves is just being, is just having been created and put on this planet somehow inherently valuable. And I think that is that thought, that question is what launched the United States Constitution. It's launched all the, you know, most of the great philosophical works and thoughts. Because if all we are is what we do, then what about when we can do that no longer? Mm. And aren't we looking at a society in, in America where we're having to confront the fact that we shutter away our elderly people in nursing homes and we're not keeping them in the family and in contact and everything uh, to enrich the lives and pass on the wisdom and all of those things um, when they really can't do very much. They're, they're not out, you know, shoveling the snow and yeah. um, maybe producing a, a income and, and doing all the things anymore. 
but aren't they valuable, right? So that's the doing, the identity in what you do and what you're interested in, what you have versus who am I at my very core and what makes me unique and valuable in all of, you know, seven plus billion people. For the people who uh, didn't have the experience of the pandemic forcing them to slow down to have a look at some of these questions, you know, people are so busy doing that, in my experience, most never slow down enough to even ask that's these right. other questions. Like, that, like, that's a big question. Is there value in simply being? Well, here's what's what, what, when I can't do the shit I'm used to doing, that, that is what my answer is now is why am I significant? When I can't even have that anymore, do that anymore, exactly. then what? That's a huge question. That is a huge question. And the reason that I was really excited to get on your show is because anyone who is interested in mental toughness is self-qualifying. You know, they're, they're raising their hand saying, I don't want to go the easy route. And if there's, there's never been in a way, a harder route than truly stopping to discover the answer to that question. And so I believe that you know, mental toughness listeners, right? They're get it done, they're go after it, they're make things happen. And they're also willing to take a look deeper and say, is what I'm making happen aligned with who I am created to be in my, those passions and things that are good in me that I was created to bring about in this world brilliant that's brilliant huge i bet that you were a fan or are a fan of the late great wayne dyer yes yeah i've gone to sleep to wayne dyer more times than i can count yeah right on because you just, all of this is reminding me of a beautifully articulated question. I don't know if he crafted it. I think he did, but who cares? Um, how do you most profoundly want to use the rest of your life? Yeah, he had a, an ability. That is a beautiful way to put it. And he had an ability to beautifully put a lot of thoughts that people have pondered this stuff since time immemorial. And the most important questions continue to come up because everything is a mirror for us. The person who triggers us and flips us off in traffic is a mirror to how accessible to ourselves our own ability to reframe our state. It, it, right, right. That, that person is doing us a favor by flipping us off on the Jersey Turnpike because it gets, gives us a chance to see, are we controlled by external forces or are we, are we in control of our own mind and our body? And those very visceral reactions like, the adrenaline cortisol response where you want to murder somebody. Which is so, a very anyway. popular response on the New Jersey Turnpike. <laughs> exactly. That's like, Thanks. actually, maybe that's a bad example because I mean, it might be a greeting, right? Hey, how you doing? Screw you, you know? But in reality, the things that trigger us are our spiritual teachers. And I don't want to get too deep and esoteric and all that stuff because there is the get it done side. There is the what am I going to do with this thing that uh, I realize now is, is important to me to where maybe I can increment my way to expanding my, my alignment of my purpose and my actions, right? So how do we do that? There is the how. It is important. But I love digging into the why, and we could probably do that for hours. Oh, of course. And, and, and you know, <laughs> I, there's another mantra that I, I love mantras so much. And the one you just reminded me of is that the outer world is a reflection of the inner world. Oh. 
So, yes. you know, no, spending time slowing down to answer the biggest, you know, I took a course in, in my favorite course ever at any level of education was in grad school and it was on death. Wow. Because death has us ask bigger questions. Our mortality has us, you know, um, ratchet up the bullshit filter in our minds, right? And so one research study that we read about or that we studied was, uh, you know, with centenarians. And there's a lot of those, but there's also a lot of uniformity in responses that these people who are on death's doorstep have mm -hmm. to the question, what would you have done? What, if you go back and do over, you know, what would you do different? And one of them, well, three, three of the most popular responses are, I would take more risks. Another is I would slow down. I'm slowing that down on purpose. Slowing down, by the way, is the most lucrative discipline I've ever incorporated into my life, just saying. <laughs> Thank uh, you. I would slow down to appreciate how magical life is without me having to do a damn thing to it. And then the third one is I would be way less obsessed with my own success and so much more interested in making a difference and leaving a legacy. Wow. You're helping people do that, brother. Uh, I appreciate you, man. Uh, I appreciate you the way you choose to be, your transparency today um, in sharing your experience of uh, what you're doing, even directed by who you're being. So people who are feeling your vibe, the Christian LaFair vibe, where can they go? Where should we send them to learn more about you and what else you're up to? Anyone who wants to uh, take advantage of figuring out where they are on the hero's journey or, yeah. uh, you know, talk about, Hey, I've got this idea or my friend has this idea. Where can we take this as far as doing something of meaning, doing a, starting a nonprofit uh, or get a free boot camp and go, okay, I want to start a nonprofit. What are the things I need to do to prepare? That is all sitting, waiting for them at instantnonprofit.com slash tough talks, well, instantnonprofit.com slash tough talks, all <laughs> one word. That's super and cool. They can kind of, it's a little bit of a choose your own adventure because they may be just tire kicking and want to learn a little bit more. They may want to dive in and we have packages, you know, at, a, at ranges that are, are, we're out to still help the underdog, right? So whether somebody is just bootstrapping something or we have entrepreneurs who have just recently had a tech exit or some other kind of exit and they are going to create society 2.0 <laughs> signing up with us. And we've got- a way to help people wherever they are on, on those, those journeys. That's kick-ass. Instantnonprofit.com slash tough talks. Christian LaFair, everyone. Really appreciate you, man. Thanks for making time today. Thank you so much. Can't wait to chat again, Chris. I know. That was cool. He's cool. And it's not just because he's from Jersey. You know, I forgot to even bring up the, the whole Jersey thing. Well, that's his. the Scarlet Knights is the mascot at Rutgers. He's a Rutgers grad. So I wore a little Villanova hat, though, to see if he'd say anything. He didn't. <laughs> They're not rivals, whatever. But they both back in the East and got good hoops teams. But anyway, 
Uh, I really loved that he was a fan of Joseph Campbell. I mean, like a big fan, and, and he knows. Like he's, a, he, I guess, I mean, the dude's done his research, right? You can tell. The guy does his work, and he knows his stuff. And I love that he was willing to explore like the why, which I mentioned in the intro, right? Like, why is he doing what he's doing? Like, we, we, you know, we didn't talk a lot, right, about, um, you know, the what of his like his vocation, right? Helping people start five hundred nonprofits, five hundred one c threes. But we talked about why he's doing that, right? Who, who he is and why it's important for him and that he has clarity on his why. And that is so huge. And that's why I wanted to have him on. You know, my, it, it's cool because I didn't think of this either. Uh, when we were talking, it's not a big deal. But my favorite quote, and I've been a fan of Joseph Campbell for a very long time. And so was my late great mentor, Jim Myers. And Jim, uh, on his desk, had a carving, a wooden carving of my favorite of Joseph Campbell's quotes ever. Three words, follow your bliss. Brilliant advice. All right, folks, thanks for tuning in to Tough Talks. And until next time, as always, create miracles.